before we get into it, I, I, I too want to say just, Jeff, how happy we are to have you with us today, uh, truly. Praise the Lord. Um, but if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. Next week, we'll, we will finally get back into our study of the book of 2 Corinthians. But since today is Mother's Day, uh, I have something different planned. Now, you'll learn over time that, that I'm actually not that much of a special occasion sermon guy, but I do believe there are exceptions to that, Mother's Day being one of them. I, I can't promise you a special sermon every Mother's Day, but I do like to take advantage of natural times to focus on families and the different roles within the families. And when it comes to the roles that each of us have in this life, I think it is very important that we have role models to help teach us about those roles. At its core, that's really what discipleship is all about. It's the modeling and sharing of my Christian life with you. But even if you don't have a good role model in your life, the good news is that there are plenty of examples in the Bible. It's just another way that the Lord provides for us because maybe you grew up in a situation that wasn't favorable or, or maybe it was downright awful and you didn't have anyone that you could look up to and learn from and maybe you still don't. Well, what you do have is an entire Bible filled with role models for all of the roles that we encounter in this life. And what you learn from these Bible characters are the Bible principles you need for success in that particular role. And, and listen, this is so crucial. The key to everything in life is the application of biblical principles. For in your personal walk with the Lord and, and, you know, victory in life, it is the application of biblical principles. That's what last week was all about, giving you the biblical principles that you need to build into your life so that you don't allow the wins that you face to defeat you. And if you apply those principles to your life, can I just tell you, the Bible works every time. And as it relates to mothers... We have plenty of great biblical role models. Mothers actually play a very important role in the Bible. And they give you the key biblical principles you need for your role as a mother. So for example, do you want to know what to do when, you're, when your child is very young to keep Egypt, to keep this world from devouring them? Well, you have a role, mo mother, a role model in Moses' mother, Jochebed. And you have some biblical principles that you can follow that come out of Exodus chapter 2. Well, maybe you weren't saved when your kids were young, or you were unaware, or maybe your kids have just exercised their own free will, and the world has already gotten a hold of them. Well, you have the Canaanite woman in Matthew chapter 15 as a role model. And there are some biblical principles in how she sought after the Lord how she sought him in prayer on behalf of her demon-possessed daughter. If you want your kids to serve the Lord with their life, you have some role models in Samuel's mother, Hannah, and her attitude of loaning or returning Samuel back to the Lord. You have a role model in Timothy's mother, Eunice, and the biblical principles surrounding her unfeigned faith. God has you covered everywhere, but you have to seek out 
those, those Bible principles, and then you have to apply them. And what we're going to dive into today is the Shunammite woman in 2 Kings chapter 4. And what she provides for us is the model home. Now, our family hasn't been able to do this for a while. But for a number of years, our Mother's Day tradition was grabbing a quick lunch after church and then spending the rest of the day touring model homes in our area. So where we lived, all the new houses, a bunch of new subdivisions, and they would have the model homes that you could go in and tour. And Jennifer loves looking through new homes and seeing what's out there, getting ideas for our home. I love it too, actually. And it became a Mother's Day tradition for us. Well, today, I want to tour the spiritual model home of the Shunammite woman. And I call her the Shunammite woman because that's what the Bible calls her. You see, in the story that we're going to read in just a second, we're never given her name. And you see her again in actually in 2 Kings chapter 8, and you don't get her name there either. And that's for a couple of reasons. The doctrinal reason is because the Shunammite, Shunammite woman is a type of the church. And according to Ephesians chapter 5, the church was a mystery in the Old Testament. She was unknown and unnamed. And even in the New Testament uh, church age, the only name that matters is the name of Jesus. That's, that's Acts 4.12, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby, must, whereby we must be saved. But the devotional reason I want to focus on this morning is that the role of mothers in the home is typically one that is behind the scenes and thankless. And it involves things like sitting up all night with a sick toddler in your arms and then cleaning up the puke laced with hot dogs and Kool-Aid and saying, it's all right, mommy's right here. And it's getting up at 2 a.m. for that next feeding, even though it seemed like the last one just ended in. And showing up at work with, you know, spit up in your hair and milk stains on your blouse and diapers in your purse. And it's running carpools and sewing costumes and baking cookies and singing that, bed, that bedtime song one, one more time. It's having to draw some Sesame Street characters in the bathtub every night. Or having to act out and do the voice of every character on Scooby-Doo except one. Those last two are for Jennifer. But it's behind the scenes, and it's thankless, and it's nameless. But I want you to know on this Mother's Day that the role that you play in your home is priceless. And it sets the stage for everything that we're going to talk about today. And it's a role that society is trying to steal from you. And so it's a role that this world is trying to convince you is inferior. That's a lie. But the truth is that godly women are usually behind the scenes. And I know for some of you that hits you wrong. And, you, and maybe you don't even like that I said it. But if it does hit you wrong, it's because, first of all, you don't know my heart. But also because you don't fully understand the Bible. Because you equate role with value. And the Bible doesn't. Like I just said, the role of the wife and the mother in the home is priceless. You cannot put a value on it, and God doesn't either. In fact, God says the price of a virtuous woman is far above rubies. 
And this isn't some commentary on whether you should work outside the home or not. It doesn't have anything to do with that. But the Bible says in Titus chapter 2 that the wives and the mothers are keepers or guardians at home. Titus chapter 2 verse 3, the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. And again, what we find in 2 Kings chapter 4 with the Shunammite woman is a model. And what we get from her story are some biblical principles that show us a God-honoring atmosphere for the home. And, and let me say this. While obviously you know, we're focused on, on, on the ladies today for Mother's Day, the biblical principles that, that we're going to outline, and even though we're going to see them for a woman, they apply to all of us. We all have a role to play in our home even children. And for the home to function as God planned, we all have to do our part. And additionally, everything that God shows us in the physical realm is is a picture of something spiritual. And we talk about setting up a home. This is just a picture of your own life and my life. The the church in the Bible is compared to a, a family and things like a household. And we know in the Old Testament during the dispensation of the law that the temple was the house of God. There was no permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit then. And the temple was where God's presence was found. Well, today, in our church age, there is the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit in believers. And our bodies are the temple of God. The Holy Ghost lives inside us, and we are the house of the Lord in that, in that vein. 1 Corinthians 3.16 Know ye not that ye are the temple of God? And that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? So this message is for all of us, and I encourage everyone to take this morning as an opportunity to not only examine our physical homes, but our spiritual ones as well. So let's look at it, and and I'm going to read, I I, I normally won't do this, but I'm going to read the entire passage for you, and it's a long one, it's 30 verses. But I want you to grasp the full story here as we get started, because we're not going to break it down verse by verse. We're just going to pull out some biblical principles along the way. And, 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 and so I want you to see the whole story and get these principles from what the Bible calls this great woman. So we're going to read 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 8 through 37. All right, so here we go. And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as often as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And she said unto her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is an holy man of God, which passeth by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick. And it shall be, when he cometh to us, that he shall turn in thither. And it fell on a day that he came thither, and he turned into the chamber and lay there. And he sent unto Gehazi, his servant, Call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. And he said unto him, Say now unto her, Behold, thou hast been careful for us with all this care. What is to be done for thee? Wouldest thou be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the host? And she answered, I dwell among mine own people. And he said, What then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, Verily, she hath no child, and her husband is old. And he said, Call her. And when he had called her, he stood in the door. And he said, About this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. And she said, Nay, my lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thy handmaid. 
And the woman conceived and bare a son at, the, at that season that Elisha had said unto her according to the time of life. And when the child was grown, it fell on a day that he went out to his father, to the reapers. And he said unto his father, My head, my head. And he said to a lad, Carry him to his mother. When he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. She called unto her husband and said, Send me, I pray thee, one of the young men and one of the asses, that I may run to the man of God and come again. And he said, Wherefore wilt thou go to him today? Is neither new moon nor Sabbath? And she said, It shall be well. And then she sat on an ass and said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Slack not thy riding for me, except I bid thee. So she went and came unto the man of God to Mount Carmel. And it came to pass, when the man of God saw her afar off, he said to Gehazi, his servant, Behold, yonder is the Shunammite. Run now, I pray thee, to meet her, and say unto her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with thy child? And she answered, It is well. And when she came to the man of God to the hill, she caught him by the feet. But, but Gehazi came near to thrust her away. And the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is vexed within her. And the Lord hath hid it from me and hath not told me. Then she said, did I, did I desire a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? Then he said to Gehazi, gird up thy loins and take my staff in thine hand and go thy way. If thou meet any man, salute him not. And if any salute thee, answer him not again. And lay my staff upon the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, as the Lord liveth and as my soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And he arose and followed her. And Gehazi passed on before them and laid the staff upon the face of the child. But there was neither voice nor hearing. Wherefore he went again to meet him and told him, saying, The child is not awaked. And when Elisha was come into the house, behold, the child was dead and laid upon his bed. He went in therefore and shut the door upon them twain and prayed unto the Lord. And he went up and lay upon the child and put his mouth upon his mouth and his eyes upon his eyes and his hands upon his hands. And he stretched himself upon the child and the flesh of the child waxed warm. Then he returned and walked in the house to and fro and went up and stretched himself upon him. And the child sneezed seven times. And the child opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite. So he called her, and when she was coming unto him, he said, Take thy son. And then she went away and fell at his feet and bowed herself to the ground and took up her son and went out. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we, we love you so much. We're so thankful for all that you have before us today. We're, we're so thankful that Jeff is able to be with us again. And Lord, we're thankful for, for what your word uh, uh, is going to teach us today. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit does that work in our life to teach us uh, and to, to, to mold us uh, in, in, the, in the changes that we need to make personally if there are any. Lord, I pray that everything that is said is true to your word. I pray that it's honoring to you. I pray that you will get all the glory out of all that's said and done today. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now, this passage, let me just tell you, it is chock full of great stuff. I mean, what we are going to look at today, I'm going to just pull out a few biblical principles. It's not even really going to scratch the surface of everything that God put into this story. But what we are going to pull out is important. These are some important principles as we tour the model home of this Shunammite woman. And the first biblical principle I want you to see is that her home was a place of spiritual focus. When it comes to this Shunammite woman, we see right from our introduction to her that the focus of her home was spiritual. And specifically, it involved ministry to and spiritual discernment about Elisha. 
The Bible says she constrained Elisha or compelled, begged him to take bread. We see that in verse 8. And she did this because the Bible says she perceived that he was a holy man of God. That's verse 9. And she felt so strongly about ministering to this man of God that she set up a room in her house for him specifically that he could use during his travels as he went back and forth from Mount Carmel. That's verse 10. And what we see with, in all of this was her spiritual focus on making her house a place of ministry. And that, of course, of course would have included ministry to those within her house. But that wasn't all. In fact, what we're focusing on here was her ministry to Elisha, someone outside of her immediate family. And what I want to tell both the mothers and the fathers in here this morning is that one of the best things that your kids can see is that your house is a place of ministry. Because that means your life isn't siloed, that, you know, you'll, you'll go to church and, and you'll, you know, you'll participate in ministry there. But when you're home, forget it. This is me time. No, that sends the wrong message. Well, I mean, it, it sends the message that you want to send, apparently, but it's a, it's a bad message. I can't even express to you how great it is if your kids grow up seeing you giving bread to others in your home. And bread in the Bible is a beautiful picture of the Word of God itself. It starts all the way back in the book of Exodus and when God provided manna to the children of Israel in the wilderness. Exodus 16.4 says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather at a certain rate every day, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. And, and we don't have the time to go through all of that bread, that manna that he provided for them, but, but suffice it to say, it is a beautiful picture of God's word. Later in the book of Deuteronomy, when Moses was kind of summing up everything that had happened to Israel in the wilderness, right before they were going into Canaan, he said this in Deuteronomy 8.3, And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know what man, that man uh, doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Moses makes the connection there between bread and the word of God. So does Jesus. Jesus actually quotes this, this verse when he's being tempted of the devil in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4 right after he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And he's quoting the word of God back to the devil and he, he quotes this verse. When Jesus was on the earth, the physical Word of God, he called himself the bread of life. It's John chapter 6, verses 31 through 35, verse 50. This is a theme throughout the Bible. And here's the picture for your model home. The time you share with others in your home around your kids should have a focus on the Lord. And that doesn't mean you have to be talking about the Lord every second or that you have your Bibles open every second someone is in your home. That's not what it means at all. It just means that you share in your relationship with the Lord and you share the relationship that you have with the Lord with others that come into your house because he's the focus of your life. And in those times, you laugh together and cry together and share what God is teaching you, even through struggles, of the struggles of life. And your conversations are always going to come back to the Lord at some point because how can they not? 
and that life-sustaining bread that God has given you, you share it freely with others. Listen, I want you to ruminate on this for a second. How awesome would it be? I mean, we just did, you know, parent-baby dedication today. How awesome would it be for all of our kids to grow up thinking that helping others and teaching Bible to the others is just normal life? Because that's what happens in our homes. But then on the flip side of that, I mean, let me just be brutally honest with you. Because do you know why, as parents, we have trouble with our kids sometimes, or we, it seems like our kids have no interest in the things of the Lord? And listen, listen, I get this. There, there are all different sets of circumstances in life. Like I mentioned earlier, people get saved at different ages, sometimes much later in life. There are people who just don't know biblical principles. They would love to apply them. They've just never been taught them. And there are certainly scenarios where the parents did a great job and raised their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and everything we're talking about today, and their kids still made the free will choice to not follow the Lord with their life and still give them problems. So I fully understand that there are all sorts of reasons why things happen. And this is what I'm about to say is not an indictment on anyone personally. Truly, I promise you it is not. But with all that said, there is still a reality of life that I know to be true. And that reality is that some of us have trouble with our kids doing what's right and with them serving the Lord because they never saw mom and dad do what's right. And they never saw mom and dad serving the Lord, particularly in the home. And I say that because what you are in your home is the real you. You see, you can fake me out and seem spiritual for the few hours that we're together in this church building each week. But do you know who you can't fake out? Your kids who are with you every single day for multiple hours in your home. Is your focus on the Lord there or is it just on yourself? Because we need to learn from this Shunammite woman this morning and live out the atmosphere she set as she shared the bread of life with others. And then the second part of this spiritual focus is that she also followed the leading of the Holy Spirit in her life. We would call this walking in the Spirit today. And that's the picture we see in verse 9 when she perceived that Elisha was a man of God. Now again, this is the Old Testament this woman did not have the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit like you and I do today. But in picture, again, this is the Shunammite woman picture is a picture of the church. And the picture in verse 9 is that of spiritual discernment. She perceived. It means she discerned. Well, today, that Elisha was a man of God. Well, today, spiritual discernment only comes from the Holy Ghost, that's what Paul tells us, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but, that, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So again, the, 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 the discernment that we have, spiritual discernment that we have, comes because the Holy Spirit is inside of us. 
and, and he uses the word of God in our life to provide spiritual discernment. The natural man can't receive the things of God because he doesn't have the spirit within him. And so he can't make the spiritual discernment. So again, the complete picture we see here of the Shunammite woman's spiritual focus for her home was that it was a place where she freely shared her relationship with the Lord through the word of God to others as she walked in the spirit. It's that simple. It's that simple. And it's the first piece to a model home that is glorifying to the Lord. Do that and you are off to a great start. It doesn't guarantee success because our kids have free will. We all know that. But it sets them up that they can take it from there. It, it, do your part and it's, it's, you're off to a great start. But then second, we also, we see that her home was a place of sweet fellowship. Sweet fellowship. And here again, you've got to see the picture. And the picture we find of, of this sweet fellowship with the Lord is found in verse 10. I want you to look there with me. She talks to her husband about setting up a room for Elisha. And she says, let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the walls, actually the ceiling. And let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick. And it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn in thither. All right, so you have to, you have to stay with me on this one. We're talking about the atmosphere for the model spiritual home. And here in 2 Kings 4.10, we see that they set up a chamber or a small room that included four items. It included a, a table, a bed, a table, a stool to sit upon, and a candlestick. And these four items picture for us, and they did this, why? So they could effectively minister to Elisha. All right, so they wanted an atmosphere that allowed them to minister to Elisha. And all these picture some things that we need in our life and in our homes to provide an atmosphere to be able to minister to others and to the Lord as well. We'll, we'll get to that in a second in what Elisha pictures. So, so these are some things we need. So I want to break this down for you. So the chamber is the container. It's a room. And when you do a study of chambers in the Bible, you see a connection to the mind, all right? So you see a connection to the mind and the imaginations of the mind. If you remember back a few weeks ago, when we looked at those first six verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we talked about how evil our imaginations can be. And then we referenced a passage in Ezekiel chapter 8 that showed us the depravity that goes on inside people in their minds when those principles of 2 Corinthians chapter 10 aren't applied. So let me remind you of all this. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So when we don't pull down and cast down and bring into captivity those, those thoughts and imaginations and the strongholds to the obedience of Christ, I'm telling you that things can turn ugly. And we saw that in Ezekiel chapter 8. I want you to show you the wording again in verse 12 of that chapter. Ezekiel chapter 8 verse 12, the Bible says, Then said he unto me, Son of man, hast thou seen what the ancients of the house of Israel do in the dark? Every man... In the chambers of his imagery. 
For they say, the Lord seeth us not. The Lord hath forsaken the earth and the chambers of our imagery. So you see, that's what the Lord calls the thing that holds our imaginations, a chamber. Biblically, that's our mind. Let me show you another passage. Proverbs chapter 24, verses 3 through 6. It says, through wisdom is an house builded, and by understanding it is established, and by knowledge shall the chambers be filled with all precious and pleasant riches. A wise man is strong, yea, a man of knowledge increaseth strength, for by wise counsel thou shalt make thy war, and in multitude of counselors there is safety. See, Solomon is talking about building a house in the rooms of this house, but the context is the mind. It's about knowledge and wisdom and counsel. In fact, I, I don't have it up there, but if you go back to verse 2, it says, The heart of an evil man studieth destruction. And study, of course, occurs in the mind. And in that 2 Corinthians chapter 10 sermon, we talked about the connection between the heart and mind. The heart of an evil man studieth destruction. And our heart thinks according to what's going on in our mind. That's why we have to bring into captivity. That's why we have to pull down those thoughts. Because those things move from our mind to our heart. It's Proverbs 23, 7. For as he thinketh, thinketh in his heart, so is he. And so our mind is a chamber. And when we connect that with our story in 2 Kings 4, we can relate that to us personally, but also to our home. And the mindset that we establish as a family and for our children. Listen, the battlefield of the mind applies across the board. It certainly applies to you personally. But it applies to what we're doing in, as we raise and train our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Because when it comes to our children, it seems like we're always fighting behavior. And, and certainly, bad behavior should be dealt with. But what you cannot neglect is the mind behind the behavior. And I've, I've seen kids, and it's like, you know, okay, you have to sit down. you got to stop doing that, and you got to sit down. And they may obey, but in their mind, they're still doing it. And that's still rebellion. You cannot neglect the mind behind the behavior, the attitude. That's where the real battle occurs. And how you fight that battle is through building out the chamber of your mind personally and the mind of your children in your home. There is a biblical mindset, an atmosphere of fellowship that you want to establish. So that means you need a bed. It pictures rest and peace in the Lord. Psalm 4, verses 4 through 8 says, Stand and awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Selah. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. There be many that say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. Thou hast put gladness in mine heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. I will both lay down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me to dwell in safety. And, and so let me just ask you, does that describe your home? Is it peaceful? Is there, is there resting in the Lord as an atmosphere? In your home, you also need a table and a stool so that you can sit at the Lord's feet as you commune with Him 
and study his word. This is a place of communion. The table is a place of communion with the Lord. And the stool is so that you can sit before him. You know, the, and, and, and again, we don't have time to, 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 to show you all of this in detail, but, but let me just show you a couple things. The table in the, in the tabernacle, which is a beautiful picture of many things, uh, but the tabernacle and the temple, um, the, was the, it was the, the table was a table of showbread, right? It held the word of God and, and in picture. We've already talked about how bread pictures the word of God. But Hebrews 9, 2 says, For there was a t- tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And as we read it just right there in Hebrews, what we see in 2 Kings chapter 4 is, is this time of communion, table of communion with the Lord as you spend time in his word. But you, you need a candlestick to do that. You see that in Hebrews, you see that in, 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 in the room. And the candlestick lights the bread in the tabernacle, just like the Holy Spirit lights the word of God in us. As he opens our eyes to behold wondrous things out of thy law. Psalm 18, 28 says, For thou wilt light my candle. The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. And all of this, and again, there's so much more we could get into with this. But I I just want you to see it at, at this surface level. That all of this included in the model home provides an atmosphere of fellowship of fellowship and communion with the Lord. It's a, it's a chamber of our mind. It's, first of all, it's just us personally. And we have a place that we can sit at God's feet. We can get in his word and the Holy Spirit lights it for us. We have a place of rest and peace in him from the fellowship that we get with him. And then what we want to do is establish that for our home, for our children. So that they grow up in that atmosphere as well. It's fellowship with the Lord. It's fellowship with each other. It's a mind and an atmosphere of peace and rest and communion all led by the Holy Spirit of God. That's what you want in your chamber. And when you do that, you know what you're going to be able to do? Cast down and pull down and bring into captivity. That's what you want in your house. So let me ask you, if if you were to... Think about the mindset. If you were to define the mindset of your home, what is it? Is it one of fellowship or is it one of strife? And if it's one of strife, just do the work in the chamber of your own mind to seek out that sweet fellowship with the Lord so that you are able to transfer that to your kids. Because here is the truth. And listen, This one is going to hurt me just as much as it hurts you. But here's the truth. You don't build character into your children. You transfer the character you have. And then they take it from there. They can build some things into their own life if, if they have the Spirit of God in them. But we don't build character into our children as much as we transfer just the character that we have. So moms, dads, if your life doesn't consist of fellowship with the Lord, you can't expect your child's life to. So build it into your home to give them the best chance for success. Again, it doesn't guarantee it. 
it doesn't guarantee it, but let's do our part. Let's do our part to, 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 to set them up for the best chance of success. The Shunammite woman understood the importance of fellowship. And we don't even have time for what comes next in our story. So, and I knew that, so I didn't even include it on your outline. But let me tell you, because it connects the next two points. But because, the, because she had a spiritual focus in her home, and because she established it as a place of sweet fellowship, what resulted was surprising fruit. It was surprising to her. It was just something that God did. As a natural outpouring of a place of fellowship and a place of ministry, the natural outpouring of that that God did was, was fruit. She had never expected to have children. She didn't even ask for it when Gehazi came and said, hey, you know, what can we do for you? She said, you know, I'm fine. I'm, I'm good to dwell amongst my people. And then he told Elisha, you know what, her husband's old. She doesn't have any children. And then, and, and then God did that miracle and, and blessed her faithfulness. But then what, what we saw in the story was some terrible accident happens. We don't even really know what it was. They're out working the field and... The, the son comes to his father, and he says, my head, my head, and he says to send him to the mother, and, and, and she dies, and he dies in her lap. And, and, and so we see this, this sort of tragedy play out before us in, in this accident that happened. But in her response, we see the next aspect of a spiritual home, and that was her home was a place of surrendered feelings. Okay, so, so listen on this. Because even in the midst of this, <clears throat> this, this seeming tragedy, she was able to keep her emotions under control. And, and that's because of our next point. We'll get to that in a minute. But after her son died, what do we see? What we see is that she allowed her inner relationship with the Lord to balance her outward response. And, you know, she just, she sets up a plan and, and, and she's, she's well, she's well thinking I mean, she even says it is well. When Gehazi says, oh, what's going on? And she said, it is well. Like, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with your child? And she said, it is well, which there's some spiritual things in that too. But, but she's under control throughout all of this. Now, she is urgent. She is even desperate. We see that when she talks to Elijah. But she's under control, and, and she is surrendered to the Lord. And in this point, there are a lot of similarities between the Shunammite woman and the Canaanite woman in Matthew 15 that I referenced in the introduction. In that story, in Matthew 15, the Canaanite woman comes to the Lord seeking help for her demon-possessed daughter. And the first time she addresses Jesus, he ignores her. I mean, she's a Canaanite. She's not a friend of the Jew. He completely ignores her. The Bible says he answered her not a word. So the disciples come. They're going to carry her away. But before they do, Jesus, he decides to talk. And it was actually worse than saying nothing. He said, I'm not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He was like, I'm not sent to you. I'm not, I don't have anything to do with you. But that didn't make her mad. The Bible says she sat and worshipped him and said, Lord, help me. And Jesus still wasn't having it. He doubles down. This is, he, he doesn't say anything to her at first. Then he says, I'm not sent to you. And then he says, it is not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. Ouch! But do you know what her response was to that? I want you to see it. Matthew chapter 15, verse 27. Right after he said that, she said, truth, Lord, 
Yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. You see, what she did is she just surrendered her personal feelings. And, and you see that in both of these woman, women, the Canaanite and the Shunammite. They didn't get mad at God. I mean, he was saying some pretty harsh things to her. She didn't take personal offense to that. She didn't get mad. She didn't even blame God. They just, what both of these women did is they petitioned God and claimed his promises. Like when the Shunammite woman goes to Elisha, she's like, did I ask for this? This is something you gave me. You, this was a promise to me. This is from you. And, and they kept their emotions and their feelings in check through this. And, and again, I said that when, you know, she was claiming the promises when she went to Elisha. And I say that because even though we haven't talked about it, Elisha in the story is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are a picture of the church in this story. Or, or the Shunammite woman is a picture of the church in this story. Elisha is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And she just trusted in the relationship and the promises that she had from him. And she focused on the promises more than her problem. We've been all over this the past couple of weeks. But here's how she did it. I want you to see it in 2 Kings 4.21. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God. This was before she goes to see Elisha. And shut the door unto him and went out. And she called unto her husband and said, Send me, I pray thee, one of the young men and one of the asses, that I may run to the man of God and come again. You see, she trusted that the man of God, and picture the son of God, that she could go to him and he was going to come again. She was going to come back and he was going to be with her. And that provides hope. And listen, knowing for us, knowing and believing and trusting that Jesus is coming again for us one day too, that should give us hope. Even in despairing times, again, nobody is minimizing what she was going through in that moment. But she trusted that she could go and that he was going to come again. And listen, that's what Paul told Titus in Titus 2.13, looking for that blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. And that hope and those promises of God should help you stay under control when things are going crazy. And then your kids should see that in your home. Remember, this is the model home. So let me ask you, when life gets crazy, do you? Are you able to surrender your feelings and, and trust in the Lord? And again, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying you don't get sad. I'm not saying you don't get mad. I'm not saying you don't cry. I'm not saying that everything is great and cheery. Of course not. No, that's not realistic. That's not real life. That's not even how God designed it, by the way. No, all of that happens. All it means is that in those times of despair, your home through you, even if it is through your tears, is still a place that trusts in the Lord and believes his promises and allows that blessed hope to carry you through even the worst of times. And that brings us to our last aspect of the model spiritual home, and that was her home was a place of supernatural faith. And we're almost out of time, and, and this point, truly, it just kind of speaks for itself, so I'm not going to belabor it. But what I do want you to see 
is that with her supernatural faith is that it was active. You see, in her despair, she didn't mess around. And she didn't, she didn't sink into self-pity and, and, and wallow in that. She developed a plan. She sought out the Lord with everything she had. And because of that, God answered her prayers. And, and look at her response to that in verse 37. So it all plays out. God heals her in her response in verse 37. And then she went in and fell at his feet and bowed herself to the ground and took up her son and went out. She was thankful. She worshipped him in that moment. So her faith was active before the tragedy. And then she developed a plan. She sought him out with all she had. God answered her prayer. And then her faith was active after he did it. Because she went and bowed at his feet. And just worshipped him for who he was. For the supernatural thing that he did. Because of her faith. And that is exactly what all of our homes need. He, listen, this is what our homes need. They need someone who will bring a faith-based approach to life and all of its circumstances. When we are in this life, in this flesh, we face times of suffering. We face times of despair. We face times of tragedy. We face difficult things. What our homes need the most in those times is at least one person who will bring a faith-based approach to life, faith-based approach to those circumstances, and will seek out the Lord and trust Him and worship Him and thank Him no matter the outcome. Who will pray? Who will worship? That's what our home needs. Do they happen in your home? Do your kids see an active faith in you? Do they see you actively seeking out the Lord? Do they see you praying about things? Do you talk about it? Do you pray with them? Are you thankful? Do you worship? That's what the Shunammites woman home, home was all about. And there's some good lessons in that for all of us. And that's the tour. The model spiritual home is a place of spiritual focus. It's a place of sweet fellowship. It's a place of surrendered feelings that's going to trust in the Lord. And, and it's a place of supernatural faith. And moms, I, I hope that describes your home. But if it doesn't, let me try to encourage you. You see, there is always something you can do. Because these are just Bible principles. And you can start applying them today. And again, if, if it's not this, you can go to the Canaanite woman. You have all these biblical principles that we see of the mothers in the Bible, and you can start applying them today. And even if your spouse doesn't, you can. Even if you are a single mom and you don't have a spouse, you still can. The one thing we don't really see in this passage is the role of the husband. I, don't know, I mean, maybe he was a good guy. I don't know. He was old. We're gonna, he's old. I don't know. He's tired. He's around and she bounces a couple things off of him early, but she's the one driving the model home. That's very clear in Scripture. In fact, when she makes the plan to go find Elisha after her son had died, he questioned her. He's like, you're going you know, to do that today? Like, yeah, that's verse 23. You're, like, you, you think you can find him today? 
But she did not let that detour her. She did not let that discourage her. She kept on and God was there for her. And if you keep on at whatever level you need, God will be there for your, you too. So I have no better way of saying happy Mother's Day than that. God will be there for you. Happy Mother's Day.